So what is cybersecurity? Uh, well, it's defined, it, cybersecurity is defined as, as the protection of computer systems from the theft or damage to the software, hardware, or the information on them, as well as from distribution or misdirection of the services they provide. Cybersecurity has been making headlines, obviously, with the with politics, with the election. Uh, companies are, are, are getting hacked uh, um, at a pretty alarming rate. The thing about technology is, you know, things are advancing so fast and making our lives so much more efficient and convenient that I don't know if we're taking a step back and really examining what are the costs to our lives, uh, it, whether it's be getting hacked or, or just your information being distributed and maybe you're not aware of. Um, you know, one thing that I forgot to mention on this conversation today uh, with Doug is I was talking to a high-level ad executive and he was telling me, you know, I, I was, we were talking about this. We were talking about information and how it's distributed, you know, how an algorithm can capture all the information about you, whether you making a purchase online for your cat or you're going to the grocery store and you used an ATM two blocks away. There are agencies that are capturing all this data and approaching ad agencies, you know, begging them like, hey, we have this information, buy it from us. And it's not just one, you know, like a big evil corporation like a Philip K. Dick novel. There are many of these corporations that just take your data, everything, you know, all this information about you and collect it and sell it. And what's really tricky is that we are not, we can't ask for them. So this is something that uh, it's not going away. You know, I, I don't think you, we should do a, a, a flip side and, you know, go into caves or log cabins. The internet is sort of, to me, it's sort of like fire. Like how do we utilize it so it can warm us up and not just burn us down? This, uh, this episode is with my good friend, uh, the, my, my guru when it comes to these type of things. Basically, he's just smarter than me, and that's why I go to him. Uh, my good friend, Doug Lane, who has, you know, check out his uh, tech blog, lanechanges.net. Um, it's a real fun episode. We get into, obviously, cybersecurity, but, um, you know, self-driving cars, uh, Bitcoin, Lots of fun. Uh, so without further delay, episode nine. Yes, 99. We're almost there, guys. Episode 99 of the Vandal Tron Curious World podcast. Cybersecurity is still the wild, wild west with Doug Lane.
you know, I know this is something that you've been involved with for, for many years. And, you know, I just wanted to, I thought this would be a good opportunity to, you know, to format a, a show around this. And uh, yep. I guess I'll just start with, you know, what what's your, you know, what what are your thoughts of, you know, of privacy and security uh, right now, and where do you think we're headed? Um, I mean, I think there's certainly, I think the good news is that a lot of people with a lot of the, you know, a lot of the activities that have gone on, both, you know, kind of the, the leaks during the election how those occurred through people's kind of Gmail getting fished and things like that. But then also some of the other things that have gone on, um, you know, from us, you know, that, that are kind of putting security issues more in the spotlight as an issue, I think are good in a way, because I think people will, will get, you know, it kind of raises the awareness and I think will cause people to, you know, to start to solve the problem, both, you know, technology companies, but also people and their behavior and how they, challenge is I think the improvements are probably not happening fast enough to kind of keep up with all that's happening in terms of, you know, we've got all kinds of new technologies um, coming along, like, you know, people putting, um, you know, Amazon Echo devices with a live microphone in their house or people, um, you know, utilizing automation in cars and, you know, Internet of Things devices where you've got all these different cameras and uh, you know, smart devices and things in your house. It just seems like that's all happening faster than the security can keep up and the privacy can keep up. So I feel like it's going to be a bumpy road where you start to, you know, well, interesting things happen on one side and then security, you know, there have, there have to be a couple of like really bad things that happen before the security stuff kind of keeps pace. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think overall it's going to be, uh, it'll all work out at the end, but it's definitely, it's going to be a bumpy road, I think. But what, what do you think the bad thing will will be that that will, will will take? I mean, you hear about. I mean, I think it was like it was like three weeks ago. Like Yahoo got got hacked, right? And I don't know, like over like three, like three hundred million accounts were were uh, were compromised or, or something like that. Anyway, I read the article and I don't remember. My my point is, it's it was a, a, a blip of, of of news, and you know, people here, you know, you hear. I think everybody is very familiar with the ability to be hacked and and you know that you're at risk you know every time you use your credit card or whatever. Remember, you know, uh, like two years ago, Target got hacked and you know people people were up in arms for about a month. But then things kind of calmed down and uh, people kind of resort back to their convenience. So my my question to you and something that you just posed is, what do you think that that thing will be for people to? to really start to button up and, and, and change their ways of looking at uh, security? I mean, I think a lot of times, so the, the problem with the credit card thing is that it's, it's an inconvenience to people, and I've had that happen several times, and it's super annoying. At the end of the day, I get my money back. I don't, you know, it's not like I suffer any real harm aside from just wasting a lot of time on the phone sorting it out. Whereas if security affects me in another way, so say say something very personal, um, information-wise of mine finds its way online and embarrasses me, or say something happens besides a credit card thing that causes me to lose a thousand dollars, if that starts happening to people, whether it's the embarrassment aspect, the, you know, kind of public shame aspect, or whether it's an actual financial impact that 
that's when I think, you know, it's going to start to uh, be more than a news story for people and be something that people are kind of up in arms uh, complaining about. And then I think the other thing that could happen, too, is that you, know, you mentioned Yahoo getting hacked, and obviously that's one risk that's out there, but the other thing that goes on quite a bit is that you have the government going to these big cloud providers and secretly um, compelling them to give them access to their customer information. In the case of Yahoo, it was disclosed that the government actually had a backdoor installed that let them scan every Yahoo user's email for certain keywords affiliated with a certain terrorist group or something like that. Um, and then similarly, even some of the other you know providers like Microsoft, um, they often will get these blind subpoenas or national security letters from the government that basically say, hand over this this user's email to us and don't. You have a gag order that prevents you from even saying this happened. Um, so I think that type of stuff, if it's just your email, you know that's bad enough. But then once you have actual again these devices that have like microphones and cameras and stuff, like you know. Who's to say, um, you know, the, the government could go to a, a technology vendor and basically force them to give them access to that information? Again, it's one thing, it's an email, it's another thing, it's a video feed into your family room or your child's room, or if it's a live microphone in your kitchen that picks up everything you're saying. So right. I think that will, you know, if it's revelations come out of, of abuses around those types of things, then it's going to be interesting because then that, you know, I think right now there's a, that, that, those areas like the, you know, the Amazon Echo stuff was one of the hottest kind of gadgets for the holidays. Um, we've heard now that the wind hotels are, are putting it in thousands of hotel rooms. So now suddenly we hear any inkling of these things being abused, um, that that's going to, you know, kind of, kind of cause everything to get put on, you know, put into question, I guess. What is what exactly is the how does the echo work? So basically, what it does, we have one of these in our kitchen. So basically, what it does is it, it's a little puck, or they have a little cylinder one that has a nicer speaker. But it's connected it sits there. It's connected to the internet, and then um, what you but, do, by audio commands, they, right? Yeah, by audio commands, you you say a certain phrase, which I'm not going to say just in case anyone's who has one listening to this. <laughs> you know, there's actually a case in San Diego where. The, the um, a little girl actually ordered a dollhouse and some other stuff through the you know, through the Amazon Echo, and then the news local news was doing a story about that. And they started saying the command, and all the you know a whole bunch of people in San Diego had their like echoes activate through <laughs> um, what was being said on the news. But um, yeah, I mean basically it's just a device that's connected to the internet. It's also connected to other services that you might have you know in the cloud, and then you can just you know basically it, it sits there listening. It doesn't feed all your 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 um, conversations live it just listens and then once you ask a question after the command it then sends that information out to Amazon to do kind of the search query but you know so it's, I mean the way the model they've come up with uh, for it is pretty good and has kind of security in mind the challenge becomes well you know who's the day they're really doing what they're what they're saying they're doing if the, you know if the government shows up and compels them to do otherwise then they are going to have to do it. So um, it, it, it kind of comes down to how much you trust the government to respect the privacy of citizens. And I think right now that level of trust is uh, probably pretty low. So um, is, is the... I mean, yeah, it gets you more dangerous. But I think even Obama, uh, with Obama, he, he has done quite a bit to expand uh, 
um, you know, government uh, surveillance powers and things like that on his watch as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You mm-hmm. also can like you uh, 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 can also uh, uh, link that with drones. Um, I mean, that's another uh, rabbit hole in terms of technology. And um, but I, I'm curious to know with the uh, with the Echo. Do you is that linked to your like when you register it when you when you um, when it be, you know when you want want to make it operational? Is it linked to? Uh, how do you register your account? Is it through your like an email or, or, or um, like so how does that work? Yeah, the way it works. I mean, they, so there's Amazon has one, Google has one of these things as well, um, and then obviously there's there's Siri on which is not a device, but it's a, on the Apple you know smartphones and tablets and stuff like that. So with all of these, you know, in the case of Amazon, you register it using your Amazon.com account, so whatever you use to do your shopping and buying. Kindle books and things like that. It's the same account that you link to this device, and you know, out of the box, it will do Amazon stuff like you know, well, some of it's generic stuff like tell me what the weather is and, and what what have you. Some of it's like order this this particular product off of Amazon, and it can do that kind of stuff. But then you can also log in and connect it to other things. So, for example, I have mine connected to a Spotify account, so I can just say you know, play this artist or the song or something and it'll it'll cross-reference with Spotify and start playing that music and there's any number of there's a whole bunch of other integrations that are out there for things you can connect up into it so it can start to actually you know you can you can even connect it with like smart you know other devices in your home like if you use a Nest thermostat that's also connected you can link those things and be able to change the temperature in your house through voice commands and stuff like that so all that stuff is kind of really fun. I, I enjoy it as well, but it, you know, it's also the type of thing where suddenly you wake up one day and you've got this little puck in your kitchen that's connected to your calendar and your uh, you know various other home devices and online services and things like that. So it's something that um, you know can, can get its tentacles into a lot of different things. Or even if it, you know, regardless of that, it's, it's again, just sitting there with a, a live mic, you know, kind of, that could be uh, designed to do one thing, but, it could, you know, if once you've got a live mic sitting somewhere that's connected to the internet, you know, the sky's the limit in terms of what a hacker or a, you know, a government uh, entity of some kind could, could uh, either secretly or, you know, by forcing the, the um, complicity of the, the, the cloud provider do, do you find that you you're getting um, uh, advertisements that are specifically um, geared toward a conversation that you've had? No, I don't. I mean, I, I've only had this for a month or so, and um, it's. I mean, I, I I I actually trust Amazon. Like, it's in their in, like it's not in their interest to do something that's ultra creepy, and, and they don't. Um, you know, so I, I feel I, I haven't seen anything creepy happen so far, and, and generally I trust Amazon. I just don't trust, you know, the fact that there are hackers out there, and, and I also am, you know, a little bit skeptical. I don't, you know, personally I don't feel like the government has any particular reason to come after me personally, um, so that gives me some comfort, but I think it's also, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's the type of thing where if you care about, you know, kind of, um, privacy and human rights and things like that. The idea that there could be an innocent person out there that has this type of technology used against them, if not already, then in the future, you know, it's kind of on a intellectual level bothers me, right? But it doesn't keep me up at night, kind of 
Dude, do you remember uh, a while back when you had the the terrorist phone and um, you know the government was trying to demand Apple break the phone and and Tim Cook was like, no, we we, we won't do that. And there was a, a yep. huge controversy about that. And so what what do you what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I I'm kind of squarely on the side of Apple and things like this. I mean, this is a I mean, this was a specific scenario with the phone, but this comes up all the time in the context of encryption because what encryption software and hardware does is it you know create it allows information to be exchanged in a way where it's impossible to intercept. So of course, what that means is you know terrorists could use it to communicate logistical plans for an attack or, you know, people can use it for other types of criminal behavior. So as a result of that, the government, because they're accustomed to being able to intercept communications through wiretaps and um, other types of surveillance activities, they want to extend this to um, encryption as well. And and the idea is, okay, well, we'll create a backdoor into the encryption, but it's only going to be used by the government under these particular circumstances. Like they have a you know, court order or, or subpoena, whatever the case may be. And the problem is, like, there's a certain amount of logic in that, but the problem is that when, when you build a backdoor into something, you're inherently weakening it for everyone and making it more susceptible to hackers, right? So a hacker might be able to discover the backdoor and exploit it somehow, or even if it's very well constructed and the only uh, keys to decrypt the data through the backdoors reside with the government, you know, we've seen many of many cases where the government has been hacked or information has leaked out of the government. So there's really nothing they could do. Either either this would be not practical for law enforcement to use, or if it was practical for them to use, it's also at a high risk of being um, compromised in some way. So it's kind of like, I think a lot of people, myself included, would take the view that I would rather force law enforcement to, you know, not have that tool and to be, you know, using other tools to try to solve the case or, or thwart a terrorist attack because giving them that particular tool of a backdoor into an encryption algorithm comes at too high of a cost. Like, it may help in the short term with a particular case, but it's just a matter of time before it creates a much bigger issue for a lot of people. Um, so I think that applies to that Apple case as well, where it's like, you know, I, I use an iPhone in part because I think it's the most secure operating system because, you know, in some ways Apple, you know, they keep much tighter reins on it than, say, Google does with Android, which is a lot more open and customizable. But on the flip side, because they keep it so tightly locked down, it also in, in many ways makes it harder to exploit from a security standpoint, and I kind of value that. And the idea that they would weaken that in any way, um, you know, would would not be something that I'd favor. No, I, I've heard you talk a lot about um, uh, the government's role in uh, in in techn and in, in, uh, security and technology. But what about um, you know our for our private information being utilized as uh, as consumers? For instance, I, I, I'm sure. You know, a few weeks ago, Amazon uh, did the pilot uh, grocery store in Seattle where you, yep. can, you can come in and you just kind of swipe your card or maybe an actual credit card, but a card or whatever. You, and then you come in and, uh, you know, you put groceries in your bag and so it identifies, okay, so you put um, 
you know, a thing of scrubbers in your bag. Okay, so it's already it's already itemized it. If you put it back, okay, so they'll take it out. And obviously, that sounds amazing. That sounds incredibly convenient. Um, but it's it's monitoring everything. So it's basically like I'm I'm right behind you, and I see every step that you've made. I've seen everything that you've hesitated and and put back. I know the duration of how long you've had it, and you've thought about it. Where in the store you thought about it, and I, I ultimately, you know, what you end up purchasing. So I'm curious to know your your thoughts on that. I mean, obviously that sounds like a great thing, but uh, there must be there's probably some dangers in that uh, further on up the road. Yeah, exactly. And I think it kind of comes down to it's it's, it's really like a I kind of think of it as like a balancing scale, right? Where it's like. And this, the examples of this exist already today. Like, if, you know, for people that use Gmail, this is kind of what you're doing already, where you're basically saying Google can can effectively crunch through all of my email and serve me relative, relevant advertising. But in return for that, I get a pretty awesome email um, service for free that works well and has a lot of great features and... Uh, provides me a lot of benefits, and a lot of people look at that and they say, you know what, I don't love the fact that Google can crunch through all my email, but the benefits I'm getting in return for that outweigh, you know, what I'm trading off from a privacy standpoint. So I think the, the in-store stuff or other other things like this kind of are the same thing. Where I think everybody just has to look at it and say, you know, are the benefits? Am I willing? You know, I think it's it's helpful to stop and think about it. So I think a lot of people don't stop and think about it. They just say, hey, gee, everyone uses Gmail. I'm going to use it too. But um, I think as long as you stop to think about it a little bit and you take stock of what you are giving up from a privacy standpoint and what you're getting in return, and if you're comfortable with that equation, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with it because I think, and, you know, I, I make that same calculation myself. I mean, I, I've probably said a lot so far that indicates that I'm pretty paranoid. <laughs> but I so so we, should all go, we should all go back to net zero, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I have, I mean, you know, even with that, I mean, I've, I've made the choice of, you know what, I have a lot of, you know, I do have a lot of information in the cloud in places like Dropbox and, you know, elsewhere, I do have one of these Echo Dots sitting in my kitchen and, and whatnot. So I think for me, you know, I go into it with open eyes, but I kind of look at it and say, okay, what's the, what's the downside versus, you know, what, what convenience do I get out of having a voice assistant or out of having my information in the cloud where it syncs between my devices, so I always have it. So I think it's just, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a problem as long as, um, you know, people just, you know, stop to think about it and make sure they're, they're comfortable with it. And then I think also only doing it with companies that have earned a level of trust for you, from you. And I think if I look at a company like Amazon, I, I find them a pretty trustworthy company. Um, and I, if I look at a company like Google, I think Google is a company that's probably going to push the envelope in terms of what type of creepy stuff they might try to do with their data in-house. But I also think I trust them in terms of their defenses against hackers and things like that. I, I, I'm pretty confident that Google has a team of very smart people protecting that data in smart ways. So I kind of, so I think that's kind of what it comes down to, um, you know, for me, um, but I think the the tricky bit is I you know I think it's it's important for people to have a choice because I think you know I'm I'm a pretty boring person where there's not a lot going on in my life that I think anyone really uh, you know 
hackers or uh, government care about, but I think there are obviously other people in, in the world that are you know, public officials or um, somebody who's you know, potentially like a, an activist of some kind that has a target on them, right? And the idea that um, you know, these types of things could be exploited um, concerns me. I don't think it's fair for people to have to, um, you know, have to opt into all this stuff in order to be kind of a productive member of society. So I think, you know, right now it's kind of like, it's at the point now where you kind of, you know, to be functional in society in a lot of ways you need like a credit card, for example, whereas there was probably a time when you could just pay cash for everything and, and get by pretty well. And I, and I worry a little bit that the bar for, for what you need to be a member of society requires you to make some of these privacy, privacy trade-offs. If you're doing it by choice, it's great, but if I'm, a, if I'm an activist with a target on my back and the only way I can function in life is by sending all my information to Google or something, that's why I think it gets a little bit problematic. Or, or, or yeah, so maybe you don't have a, a lot of, uh, you know, skeletons in your past or, or anything that is embarrassing, but... Um, oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what if, you know, you're, you know, like if you're applying for a job, you know, and, and um, you know, as technology advances and social media expands, and I would imagine employers want to do a thorough search of, of, of candidates. And what if they see, you know, you know, your, uh, your pantsless at a Ted Nugent concert or something. <laughs> that, that's actually not even a good example because I'm sure that's fine. But something... Something more incriminating. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it, I think there's a difference between. I think if there if there's something that you, whether intentionally or not, post on some type of public social media, you know, platform, Facebook, Twitter, you know, either intentionally or accidentally, I think it's kind of on you at that point because you've kind of taken the steps, you know, confidently or not, just to share that. And if it's in the public domain. I also think it's pretty fair for, um, you know, potential hiring managers and, and folks like that to, to look for that information just in the way I might Google somebody and see what work, you know, if they've done any work-related stuff in the public domain. So um, now, depending on what they find, if they, you know, if you find something that, um, it, it's a fine line, right? Well, yeah, find, well, let's, find, say, let's say, let's say, uh, doing that search, I, well, yeah, I find let, out, oh, this person is like, you know, homosexual or something obviously like that's not rational or legal basis to exclude that whereas if i search and find somebody doing something that is on the on the inverse they're you know they're exercising homophobic behavior or hate speech or things like that then you know i think at that point it's fair game uh, but it's kind of a great yeah it's a little bit of a gray area there of in some cases in terms of what um you know what is discriminatory versus what is something that is um, kind of crossing a line into into hate, right? Well, I did a, so I had to, um, you know, I was doing a, um, a hiring search and I just had, there was a name, I won't say the name, but I, there was a name and I, I it was, it wasn't like John Smith. So I just, I, I typically will Google somebody that I'm bringing in um, just to, I don't know, just to get me more informed and maybe there's things I want that I can talk about, right? Like maybe if they're from an interesting, an interesting place in the world or if they went to a school, whatever, right? And it, 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 in my mind, I'm surely not looking for anything bad. I, I 
you know, if it, obviously if, it, if they if I find out they're a pedophile and they've been, you know, then right. that's that's going to change, you know, my um, uh, the way I approach the uh, you know the, the candidate. Anyway, so there was there was one I typed in his name and there were so many articles that came up. Basically, he was like an insurance frauder, and right. I, he was convicted. And uh, so I really so but they so I already scheduled him to come in, and I was like, should I bring this up? I mean, it's it's there. It's out. It's on the internet. Should I bring it up? Right. And uh, yeah. And so I, I think I think I, that's fair to bring up, and I think in some ways it. Might, I mean, they might prefer you. Now, obviously, if they if it's legit, it's, you know, in the information, then it's an opportunity for them to explain themselves. Because sometimes these things can kind of. There's been a lot of examples of of these things spiraling out of control. Where you know, there was one case I can think of where. Now, there was a woman who was like by all measurements like a really solid citizen like her job was like working with special needs children you know really seemed like a perfectly nice person living a perfectly um well you know kind of good life right and then she did this one thing where she you know she was at the uh, with a friend at the uh, arlington cemetery and she she took they took like an instagram photo next to the um you know, a sign or something that said, be quiet. They pretended they were screaming. So it was kind of like in bad taste, but it was like one of those things that you could totally see someone, a nice person doing, not really thinking about it, right? And this thing just like spiraled out of control where a whole bunch of people like, you know, went off on her online and started attacking her. She ended up losing her job. Like her whole life got destroyed over one little not mistake that while in bad taste, I think any of us could see ourselves doing something like that or worse, right? So I think in the scenario you described, if, you know, she were to come in and, and you, you said to her, look, I, I did a Google search on you and it seems like you're one of the most hated people on the planet. <laughs> she could kind of tell her story, right? I think after she told that story, you'd probably be like, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, you're, you know, I'm sorry you went through that, but I don't think it really would deter me from hiring you, right? So um, well, this- I think it, if it's, this person yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, so, the, so in my case, um, the person was in a wheelchair, and right. online the article suggests that he he basically was throwing himself in front of like cars to get like insurance claims. But my question was like, did he end up in a wheelchair because of like a fake fraud thing? Anyway, so I was right. a little, I had to involve HR because I already scheduled the interview, and he was in. A, I didn't know he was in a wheelchair, but he was in a wheelchair. And yeah. I thought like, whoa, I don't want to be like. I didn't want. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I didn't want to ever, allow him to use that against me. Right. Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting one because obviously, yeah, you, you're walking a fine line there because you, know, you got to kind of give the person the benefit of the doubt um, and uh, not be, um, you know, kind of discriminatory against them. But at the same time, you know, I think it's legitimate um, to, to bring up what you you know what you found in the public domain. So when you, what, what kind of, uh, I mean, what kind of uh, research do you do on somebody, whether it's somebody you want to hire or somebody you want to work with? Um, I mean, I, I do similar things. Like I would, you know, I Google people, look at, um, you know, who they're connected to on LinkedIn and maybe they're, you know, we have connections in common that I could cross-reference or, you know, if they're companies they've worked for in the past where I know people that have that worked there or, you know, so, I mean, I think, Basic stuff like that. Um, if they're a girl, you type in their name in Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that uh, that would be on my list. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, 
yeah, it's I've got it all memorized at this point. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just basic stuff. I mean, I don't I don't go crazy with it. Um, you know, it, it also somewhat you know some people are better at you know the Google foo than other you know it's a, those little tricks you can try to search uh, in certain ways to try to find more information. But I think it's you know I don't I mean it's I don't, think, I don't go too crazy with it. I think for the most part, if you're hiring somebody, you know, do a cursory search, you know, and then a lot of times, you know, before I get, I, I usually want to meet the person and talk to them and form an impression before I invest a ton of time into it anyways. And right. then if I find somebody that I'm serious about hiring, there's usually ways to, I, I mean, I value like, a, a, you know, getting an opinion from a, a real person versus what I find online. Um, and I, in a lot of cases, uh, I just find that there's there's often through um, past colleagues or investors or um, you know any number of other connections a way to find somebody to uh, you know to to vouch for, for for another person and you know and if not you know a lot of it is you know follow, following your gut and, and stuff as well. Um, you know, before uh, you know, before you wrap up, I wanted to also get your opinion on uh, what do you, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Uh, I think it's a cool concept. Uh, I just think it's one of those things where it hasn't really found its uh, place yet. I think it's still you know there's, there's Bitcoin and then there's kind of the you know what's called blockchain, which is like the, the kind of related technology uh, foundation that. I, you know, I, I like it as a concept, and I think it's probably going to be something that turns into a meaningful part of our lives. But I don't think that time is near. It was, you know, it's kind of getting a lot of buzz for a while, um, just because the value, you know, people were speculating in it, and, you know, increasing their financial uh, wealth and stuff like that. But in terms of being like a, a meaningful part of society, I think it has to have a I like I like things that are kind of decentralized in nature um, because I think that can eliminate a lot of vulnerabilities and things, right? But I think it has to be more user friendly and easy for somebody to get their head around as an as everyday, you know, not super technical person in order to really take off. And then when I look at issues, particularly around stuff like payments, um, we're we're like in the dark ages still. Like if the, all these retailers basically upgraded their POS systems to do chip credit cards, and, and you know it actually works worse now than it did before. <laughs> and uh, takes longer and is, is less user friendly. And you know things like contactless payments using smartphones and stuff like that. I think is still. I think it's now finally starting to catch on, but it still feels like you know about. I mean, I have a, a, a an iPhone that does Apple Pay, which I love using. And it feels like a surprise if I can use it somewhere, probably, you know, 20% of the time or less that I can actually use it. So I, I think even when, when just like common sense stuff, like hold your iPhone up and pay, um, hasn't really taken off. I think something that's more of a, a bigger paradigm shift like Bitcoin, it's just going to take a while to go mainstream. And it probably is going to need, some companies going to need to, uh, or companies are going to need to put a more user-friendly kind of face on it. Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you think that's maybe like the beta testing of something that you know, which will finally, which will unveil itself further on up the road? Because I think everybody, yeah, like, exactly. everybody prefers like just swiping their credit card. Nobody wants a pocket full of loose change. Right. Yeah, I think if anything, it's. Um, I mean, I don't know whether it 
it, I, I think the, the, the big thing that I could see taking off is like right now we have a lot of a lot of things we, we rely on are very centralized, right? Like the banking infrastructure, for example, is very centralized with, you know, Wall Street and the U.S. government in particular plays a big role as do other foreign governments. And the idea that my wealth could be decoupled from that um, is kind of appealing. And then that way it's less um, – if you think about it in some ways the way that the Internet works, right? Like no one um, – government or, or company uh, owns the internet. It's kind of a collection, it's a, it's a decentralized collection of systems that all kind of connect together and form the internet. And if some pieces go away and other pieces get added, you know, it, it just kind of keeps working, right? And I think making some of the financial infrastructure like that as well has some appeal to me, right? But I just think it's a, I just think we're far off from that being like a mainstream Thing, right. Right. Um, would you ever invest in a self-driving car? Like purchase one? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I trust. Uh, I mean, I think I think that's in the bucket of things I talked about earlier, where there's probably going to be some major um, issues that occur along the way, but with cars, it's kind of a no-brainer because I trust imperfect computers more than I trust humans, right? <laughs> like, well, I, I feel like if, you know, once, once self-driving cars become mainstream, like the number of car-related deaths will plummet, right? So even if there's like a major, you know, meltdown that happens, you know, once a month or something, net-net, your odds of being killed in a car crash are probably going to go way down and the convenience factor will go way up. So Yeah, I heard that, um, you know, I read it. I read an article that it's it will eventually um, eliminate the the truck driving industry, like all those eighteen wheelers, because they have such right. a direct path, and you know mo- most of their most of their uh, uh, regulations are because of for um, to allocate for human error, you know you know, and they have to take so many rest stops and you know right. and, and, and 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 things like that, and and also I have to imagine the alcohol industry would be fully supportive of it. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many. I think it's gonna. It'll obviously hurt some, you know, some people in some industries, right? But I think there's gonna be whole other set of, of people and industries that benefit and pop up. And I and I also think it's gonna I mean there's tons of, um, you know, think about for example, you know, any big city like New York or Chicago or Boston or something like that, and how much um, waste and inefficiency there is. Just, you know, even if you take traffic off the table, you know, I was reading somewhere, and this wasn't my original thought, I read it somewhere, and it kind of struck me, but think about like how much space in Manhattan or Boston is dedicated to parking garages. And what if you didn't need parking garages anymore? You just you hopped in an autonomous vehicle, it dropped you off in front of your building, and it just kept going and went picked up the next person, and there wasn't really a need to park in a parking garage, and when you know demand went down, where not as many cars were needed in Manhattan, they would all drive out to you know Queens and park somewhere until they're needed again, right? Um, and that's something, like imagine how much real estate in New York would be opened up if you didn't need all those parking garages and what could be done with that space, right? It's like there's lots of things like that where, in addition to the common sense stuff like time and convenience and environmental factors, it's just like you know 
there's lots of little things like that that are just transformational. And then I think also, too, from the standpoint of a personal investment, you know, it's like I, you know, spend a lot of money each month on paying for a car that sits idle the vast majority of the time. Like most of my day, I'm not using my car. So it's like an investment I'm making that's losing value over time that I'm not really getting really much out of. So if that car, like while I'm working, if my car could be driving around and making money for me to offset what I'm spending on it, you're texting your car. <laughs> yeah, or it's just like, you know, it's like, like instead, of, instead of sitting in a parking garage that I'm paying, you know, $400 a month for, instead it's driving around doing Uber rides and, I, and I'm getting more money into my checking account instead. Um, that's pretty good. Or maybe I don't have a car at all and it's just, you know, something I use like Uber, right, where when I need it, I use it. And that would just depend on, like, kind of the, you know, what's cheaper for your usage model. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about uh, automated uh, vehicles and stuff like that, self driving cars and stuff because I just think it's uh, you know it's it's again it's one of those areas where I'm sure we're going to have a big security um, incident or twelve that occur and I'm sure there'll be some malfunction type stuff that occurs but there's definitely some this is another area where there's a lot of ethical issues too where you know a lot of these companies are now having to wrestle with well do I you know if my um, Mercedes is driving, self-driving down the street, and it has a choice between swerving to save my life, but in order to save my life, it has to take out six school children. What to do? Does it does it kill me and save the children, or does it you know, you know, run over the children and save my life? And I think in the case of Mercedes, it said it will save save the driver's life. So I think there's <laughs> a lot of uh, yeah. So I mean, that's that's real kind of stuff that people are you know companies are having to. Uh, to figure out, right? And, and I think they'll, you know, it's, it's kind of uncharted territory in terms of what, um, you know, what the government has to say about this stuff. Would they, you know, would they allow um, companies and individuals to act out of self-interest in a case like that? Or is there going to be some type of, going to need to be some type of law that lays out how these types of ethical decisions get made by automated systems? Right. Um. So I'll get you out on this. What are some things that uh, folks can do to feel more uh, cyber secure? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's actually a really, um, you know, easy one, which is to get really good at passwords and authentication. Um, I think a lot of us over the years, you know, we got lazy and kind of used the same password everywhere on multiple sites and things like that. And that's become a real problem because then when one of these sites get hacked, gets hacked, the first thing the hackers do is they say, okay, I'm going to take Van's email and his password from Yahoo and I'm going to try it now on, you know, Google. And if he was lazy, then now I have access to his Google account and maybe I'll try his bank, you know, I'll try Bank of America next or, you know, Chase Bank or whatever. And that's, that's where a lot of these things lead. So a couple of things you could do is first off, you know, use, different passwords uh, everywhere and you know there are tools now like you know password apps that allow you to generate um, you know kind of unique um, and difficult passwords that just get filled automatically if it's you on your computer or phone um, there's one called one password that's very good another one called LastPass. Um, so just creating unique um, 
and strong passwords. Wait, uh, how do you different on every? How do you remember it? Well, it's it, it's stored in the app, right? And then so if I'm in my computer and I go to my bank, rather than remembering my password, I just hit like a key combination, and the password app uh, inserts the password for me. And then when I, you know, if I need to uh, generate a password, it'll it'll generate like a long like cryptic text that is hard to crack. Um, so it's it's you know it requires you kind of learning the tools. I, in this case, like if you're using one password, you would have it on your computer and maybe on your phone or iPad. They have an app for that too. And then wherever you are, it just syncs the passwords between those different um, devices in a secure way. Um, and you could argue, well, they could get hacked and, and compromise your passwords. But I think the the risk of that. Um, is less than, you know, the, the benefits you get by using a tool like this are, in my view, less than the risk of their system getting compromised, particularly if you choose a, I would just choose, like, the cheapest free one you can find on the App Store, but if you use one of these, you know, more reputable password manager products, I think you're going to be way better off, um, even if you're assuming a different kind of risk in another area. Um, and then another kind of related thing is that a lot of sites now offer what's called two-factor authentication, where you don't just enter a login and password, you can turn on, it's usually optional, so they usually don't turn it on by default, because it's kind of, you know, it would confuse a lot of people if they did, but if you look at, you know, things like Facebook or Twitter or a lot of um, a lot of other online services, Dropbox, a lot, of these, a lot of them have this option where you go into settings and turn on two-factor authentication, and what that does is when you go to log in to Facebook, for example, it will ask you for your, your username and password, and then once you get past that step, it asks you to enter in a code, and um, that code is, is, is like a temporary code that's only used, you know, good for a short amount of time. And the way you get that code, if you're using one of these password management apps, those apps will generate the code for you, and you just copy and paste it in, and it lets you log in. Or um, in other cases, they'll, they can send it to you as a text message. So like with Twitter, I think that's how they do it. They will you log in and then you instantly get a text message with a code that you enter in and if somebody doesn't have your phone then they're not going to be able to hack your account. And I think with Facebook what they do as well is they with within the Facebook app itself you can get the code from there as well. So I think you know if you're if there are services you're using, it's worth just going into the settings and seeing if this option is available um, and, and turning it on if, if it is, because then it then it's uh, you know, much, much harder for, for someone to compromise your account. Right. And uh, any 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 inherent dangers of using free Wi-Fi? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, really, if you're using free Wi-Fi, like even, even at a Starbucks or something like that, I mean, it's very easy for somebody to um, see that data going across the wire. Um, so... And there's just you know, a lot of different ways that that can be exploited. Um, there's also, like in some cases, you could put up a, you know, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot that's, that's not even real. It's just like, you know, it's like a, a decoy or a honeypot type of thing where you're just trying to get people to, like say, I could set up a, you know, one outside the coffee shop down the street and call it free Wi-Fi. And then when you connect to it, the first thing it does is it pops up a page that looks like Google and asks you to log in and then you enter in your, your username and password and I've captured that, right? So uh, there's things like that or even just seeing what's happening over the network. So um, what I do in my case is I use a, um, 
there's, there's VPN software, virtual private network software, which is like a technology that was first used a lot for companies to let people securely connect to their corporate network. Um, so I have I use something like that. It's an application called Cloak that um, whether I'm on my Mac or it also works on my smartphone and tablet, when I connect to a, a free, like unsecure Wi-Fi, it creates like a secure tunnel between my device and Cloak, and then all of my traffic that's going across like the Starbucks network is all encrypted, so nobody can see it. Um, so it's you know it's another thing you got to pay for. So you know I think a lot of people might not like the idea of having something like that to need to pay ten bucks a month for. But for me, I'm kind of traveling and using public Wi-Fi enough that it's worth it. Um, and then it also has some fringe benefits in that you can actually use it sometimes. I would endorse this as a uh, official matter, but if, for example, you were trying to circumvent a Red Sox blackout and uh, wanted to look like you were coming from California instead of Boston, um, it, it would work for that too. <laughs> uh, I, of course, would, would never do that or recommend it, but it's uh, something I've heard people do. No, wait a minute. Does it work the other way too? <laughs> like if you're... Um, like if I'm using, let's say I'm using your, your wife, I'm in, I'm in your, your business or home or let's just say business, I'm in your office and I'm using, you know, I'm using, I'm logging on with your Wi-Fi. Can what I do compromise your system? Um, possibly. Yeah. I mean, it would depend on the most likely scenario would be that if you had some type of malware on your device that could certainly infect other devices within that network. So a lot of companies actually will segment their network. They'll have kind of like the untrusted network where visitors connect to, and then they'll have their kind of trusted network where devices that they can vouch for are connecting, and then that way they reduce the risk of, of that happening. Um, but this is also the problem that happens now with, um, with homes as well, because what can happen is, like say I, say I buy the, the cheapest, like, you know, Chinese camera that I can find and plug it into my network and that that camera is connected to the internet and has some type of software vulnerability. Uh, there's been lots of cases now where people are hacking devices like that in people's homes and then using them as a launching off point for doing attacks and stuff like that. So it's uh, having, a, having a device on your network that is infected in some way or compromised in some way definitely is, uh, could cause a lot of issues. Jeez. <laughs> um, well, a lot of good so stuff, put man. Your, put your uh, tinfoil hat on, <laughs> your head, and everything will be fine. Yeah. I'm just going to start writing letters again. Uh, Doug, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. I knew I would get a, a wealth of, uh, of, uh, of data from you. So uh, it was very condensed. And, you know, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right. And that's our show. Uh, you can find, again, the Doug's website and his tech blog is lanechanges.net. Um, thank you so much for listening. Bodhisattva, go out and do the world.
It's on my plate. 